0: Hey church, I'm glad that you're able to join us today for our online services. Um, I know that uh, many of you are already feeling the impact of the coronavirus and what's happening uh, in the culture around us. Um, s- several of you have lost your jobs or your job has been put on hold and, uh, and you're already feeling that impact. I know uh, beyond that there are uh, health concerns and health issues. Um, some of you are struggling with anxiety, um, and so I know there are, there's a lot of of, of weightiness uh, to what we're going through together as a church. And so uh, I'm thankful that we can we can get together in this way. Um, I'm just going to open in prayer, and then we're going to be in John chapter five this morning. Uh, Father, thank you for your goodness, and thank you for um, God, the presence of your Holy Spirit. That while we are uh, physically separated uh, and isolated as a church, Father, we God, by your Holy Spirit are still united as one. God, I pray that you would um, speak today in a powerful way through um, John chapter 5, and that, God, through it we could find hope, we could find healing, we could find, um, God, a sense of purpose in what's going on in the world around us. So now, God, we ask that you um, would speak and move, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in John chapter 5, we're going to be looking at um, an occurrence of healing uh, that is somewhat unusual in terms of what we might expect when Jesus heals. Um, Not only that, we're going to see um, the fullness of the grace of Jesus displayed in this occurrence. And so, so far in the Gospel of John, we've seen hints of the grace of Jesus. We've seen uh, where Jesus called disciples um, from just common everyday guys to come follow him. We've seen... Jesus turned water into wine. He didn't have to do that. and So you could see just hints of grace in, in those things. We've seen Jesus engage with Nicodemus in, in a theological conversation and ultimately sharing with Nicodemus, you can be saved uh, by simply having faith in me. We've seen Jesus uh, reveal himself to the woman at the well as the Messiah. And then, and then of course, going back with her to her hometown and, and, and revealing himself as the Messiah to them as well. Um, Last week we saw where Jesus healed uh, the official's son uh, by faith. And so we're beginning to see these hints of the grace of Jesus. But today we're going to see this beautiful display, the fullness of Jesus's grace. And so we're going to pick this up in John chapter 5 verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Let me just start by um, addressing a, a small issue that you may have already noticed in, in your Bible, depending on which version you're, you're reading from. So I, I read this from the ESV, and if you notice, there was a verse that seems to be missing, verse 4. Well, what's going on there? So let me just address that quickly. So uh, so understand that, that when the Bible was originally translated into English, we had uh, the King James Version of the Bible. And at that time, uh, those who translated the Bible into English were using um, the oldest manuscripts that they had available. Now, since then, we've discovered even older manuscripts. And so the difference is that at the time when the King James was translated into, into English, um, this verse four was there. It was, it was a note in um, the, the available documents that they had. Now what we've discovered is that in older documents, older copies of the originals, verse four isn't in there. So let me just quickly address what, um, what's going on here. So let me read it. If you have the King James Version, uh, here's verse four. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. So here's what's going on, more than likely that verse 4 in the King James was actually in the original documents a footnote or a note in the margins put there to explain verse 7 for those of us who aren't from Jerusalem who would have no idea why people would gather around this particular pool uh, for healing, verse, that, that side note which is expressed in verse four in the King James explains what was going on and so um, there was evidently some kind of a physiological occurrence that would happen in the pool, whether it was an earthquake tw- tremor or something happening from underground, but the waters would stir a little bit and so the superstition was that whoever jumped into the pool uh, first, after the, the waters were stirred by what they, they assumed was an angel, that one person would, would be healed. And so while verse 4 um, doesn't change the story at all, it certainly helps, under, helps us understand why um, this, these people were gathered around the pool in anticipation for healing. However, but what it doesn't do is it doesn't change the story. It doesn't change the theology of the scriptures. And so... Uh, if you're reading from maybe an NIV, or ESV, or uh, NASB, you you still have that note, but it's more than likely a footnote for you, um, just to explain what's going on. Now, I want to move forward here. Uh, So, what's interesting about this healing occurrence is that, notice that Jesus intentionally approaches um, this pool of Bethesda. Now, the the, the word Bethesda means house of mercy, and it was um, a couple of pools outside the temple um, with five roofed colonnades there where people in need of healing would gather. And as you can imagine, they were there with their caretakers. Uh, many of them had been there for years just waiting for their opportunity to be the first one into the pool after the waters were stirred. And so as Jesus approaches this man, says to him, hey, would, would you like to be healed? His response to Jesus was, I would love that, but the problem is I can't get into the pool. Nobody will help me get into the pool. By the time I get up and ready to get into the pool, somebody has already beat me there. So we know that there's probably been at least one, if not several times, where the waters were stirred and this man tried to get into the pool and and was unable to get in first. And so what's interesting is he doesn't ask Jesus to heal him. He only asks Jesus if he will help him get up and be the first one into the pool. So there's no indication here that this man recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, that he has faith uh, in Jesus' ability to heal. Uh, He's simply just engaging Jesus uh, in conversation like he would with any other um, person who was there by the pool. And so what Jesus does is this beautiful display of grace. He he takes this man uh, who... Uh, It does not have faith in him and simply says do you want to be healed and then he heals him now verse 10 this is going to stir up some things so we pick this back up in verse 10 so the Jews said to the man who had been healed it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed but he answered them the man who healed me that man said to me take up your bed and walk and they asked him And so now we have this occurrence of healing that is not only um, a little bit unusual in that Jesus approaches somebody who needs to be healed, that person isn't asking for healing, that person doesn't even believe in Jesus, yet Jesus heals anyway, um, we see that Jesus is healing on the Sabbath, which was, um, which was outside of the religious customs of that day. These guys are, are frustrated that Jesus was healing on the Sabbath, and they're frustrated that this, this invalid who had been healed, um, that he's just, the fact that he's picking up his bed and walking is frustrating them. And so, Not only is is Jesus um, healing in a way we wouldn't expect him to do, he's completely violating the customs of of that day. And and notice as well that after Jesus heals this man, keep in mind this was a place that was full of people who were in need of healing. Jesus withdraws. Okay? He just slips away um, and, and kind of makes his escape at that point. Because of why? There were a crowd of people there who I'm sure would have noticed this man being healed and, and kind of mobbed Jesus. But that wasn't what he was there for. And so later that day in the temple, um, Jesus is there. And what's interesting is now this man who has been healed, he's now at the temple. And so they run into each other. And uh, Jesus says this, says this to him, uh, go and sin no more, which is, which is really interesting because that shows us that in the grace of Jesus, he's not only interested in our, our physical wellness, healing us physically, but when, when God works in our lives and addresses our felt needs, it's always aimed at our holiness. It's always aimed at our redemption, not just simply what we're feeling in, in the moment. And we see that here. And so the religious leaders, they're, they're, they're questioning this guy, um, who healed you? And, of course, he's initially saying, I don't know who it is. And so what's going to happen next is now that he's met Jesus and he knows who it is who's healed him, he's going to go back to the religious leaders and he's going to share that with them. So we'll pick this up in verse 16. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now it's in these last few verses that we actually see uh, the main reason why uh, John, the gospel writer, recorded this story to begin with, it's, of course, this beautiful display of the grace of Jesus and another occurrence of healing. But what John says here twice is this is why they were persecuting Jesus. So he wants us to understand the why behind the persecution of Jesus. And what's, what's interesting is we see that initially there's a frustration and a persecution brewing um, over the fact that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. But when he makes this statement, this the statement, my father is working until now and I am working. Something about that statement caught these guys in a way that, that this persecution that, that began as a, maybe a frustration towards Jesus has now turned into a full on plot to kill him. So I want to look at this with, uh, with you today and what Jesus is actually saying here. So there's two things really about this phrase that I want us to see. First of all, what Jesus was claiming here was to be one with God. And so we can see kind of a Trinitarian theology in what Jesus is saying as he makes himself equal to God. And this, of course, um, from the, the perspective of the religious leaders was blasphemy that anybody uh, would make themselves out to be equal with God. But But more than that, on a practical level, what Jesus is also saying is this. He's saying that that my father is working and I am working. And we see that here in this um, occurrence of healing. Uh, Jesus didn't wait for someone to ask him to be healed, but he was working uh, in this guy's life even before this guy saw it, knew it, understood it, or even asked for it, which is so helpful for us today to know that God is is working, even before we ask for it. Now, I've been thinking a lot about what's going on in the world around us. I think many of us are trying to wrap our minds around um, not only how to respond to um, this this coronavirus emotionally. Uh, Many of you are uh, as I mentioned earlier, feeling the impact, um, the, whether that's the, the, you know, the, the physical impact, the economic impact, uh, maybe the emotional impact of, of anxiety and stress and just not knowing and also not knowing how to explain what's going on to your children and to your loved ones. And so um, I know this is a very heavy, heavy time for us. Um, I'm, I'm starting to think about what will life be like you know, after this is done and so I'm, always, I'm, I'm starting to think in these terms, B.C. and A.D., before corona and then after it's done, like looking back on what was life back? I, like three weeks ago, I'm having a hard time remembering what what was normal then, and now we're starting to settle into whatever this normal is now, but then what will the new normal be like after all of this is done? And And I think there's some, um, some beautiful displays of the goodness of God and we can, we can see God working in ways that we're not even asking him to work. And, and so you've probably seen some of this as well. Um, whether that's just phone calls that you're getting that you wouldn't normally get. Maybe you've been prompted to do some of those phone calls yourself. And so we're seeing people reaching out to one another, loving on one another, in just very real and and practical ways serving one another. Many of you are getting to know your neighbors um, that you didn't know before. And so we're seeing these little hints of the goodness of God Um, already in the world around us. We're seeing um, acts of kindness. I I don't know about you, but... Like when I've gone to the grocery store in the last couple of days or inside of a convenience store paying for gas, like there's this kind of this kindness in the air, a sense of just just being in this together that we're feeling. And I think we can see the, the goodness of God in that. But I'm thinking about the bigger picture of what's going on in our nation and, and in our homes. And we talk about um, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the stock market about how when when the stock market gets inflated, um, the bubble will burst and there'll be a correction in the market or we'll talk about the housing market that way that there's gonna be a correction and what we mean by that is things are getting you know, too inflated and so there needs to be a, a burst in the bubble and then things come back to where they need to be, they reset and so I've been thinking a lot about that in terms of just the social fabric of our culture and especially the, the, the religious fabric of our culture. Um, my hope and my prayer is that there's gonna be a correction here. I know we're starting to see hints of that, but many of us are, are forced to, to stay at home. Our, our extracurricular schedules have been put on hold, and so we're spending a lot more time together with our families, which is giving us the opportunity to recapture some things um, that, that have been lost. You know, we've, we've, we've talked about this for a long time. It, you know, if you think about before corona, um, the average American, if you ask them how they were doing, the stock answer was what? Busy. And so now that, that excuse for most of us is gone. We're no longer busy. We're, we're now with time on our hands, in our, in our own homes, and now we have the opportunity to do things that maybe we didn't feel like we had the opportunity to do before, like sit down and eat a meal together. Um, just this, this last week, I, I sat down and began teaching my boys how to play guitar. I've been saying for years that I want to teach them how to play guitar. And so we're seeing these, these, these opportunities that we didn't have before or we didn't think we had before simply because of the busyness of our schedules. And one of my, one of my hopes and one of my prayers is that God would reset the social fabric of our culture And I'm praying that specifically for even my own home, that God would reset that that social fabric, the priorities, the values, the virtues of what we call important. But on the bigger scale, I'm praying that God would reset um, the faith culture of our nation. That the gospel would um, would, would, would resurge in our nation. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, is I'm starting to see um, Christ followers reengaging in their relationship with Christ. Now they have time for devotions. Some of you are, are now reading your Bible more frequently and you're spending more time in it, doing the things that four weeks ago you, you were saying and I was saying, I wish I had more time to do this and we're doing it now. And so our relationship with Christ is being rekindled. And when that happens, when, when, when our relationship with Christ is rekindled, um, a couple of things happen as a product of that first of all there 's a conviction of sin that happens in this this pursuit of holiness, and so i 'm praying for that for you and for our church and, and for our nation that um, there would be a wave of repentance in the church as we re engage in our relationship with Christ um, as sin is brought to the surface, that we would respond to that in, in repentance um, in addition to that. Uh, I'm praying that, that God would give us a, a genuine love for neighbor. I know it's easy in times of crisis to want to think about your neighbor and check in on your neighbor, um, but what's going to happen once this is done? Are we going to continue to do that? Well, the, the answer is no, if that's not coming out of a genuine love for your neighbor. It will fade away and we'll go back to business as usual. But what also happens is when God begins to, to work in our hearts and, and, and to bring to the surface this love for neighbor, there then comes this, this desire to share the gospel with others. And so I'm praying that as, as many of you and myself included, as we, as we either re-engage in our relationship with Christ or we deepen in that walk with Christ now, um, that the, the byproduct of this entire um, coronavirus crisis would be this, this revival that happens um, first in our own hearts, then in our homes, and then across the nation. As we begin to walk with Christ again, that he would stir in us these things. We would see this wave of repentance. We would see this wave of genuine love for neighbor and this this wave of sharing the gospel with those who do not know the hope of Christ. So I wanna end with some discussion questions for you uh, to consider in your own home. And the first question is this. In what ways do you see God's grace working things out for our good in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic? I've already mentioned a few ways that I'm beginning to see that, and I just want you to consider some of the ways that you're beginning to see the goodness of God working even before we ask him. The second question is this. How are you hoping that God will use the coronavirus pandemic to change the values and the priorities of our culture? And then the third question is this. How are you hoping that God will use the coronavirus pandemic to change the values and priorities in your heart and in the life of your family? And now as you guys move into a time of discussion, I wanna close this in prayer. Um, Father, we thank you for speaking to us today through your word and now I pray that as we move into this time of discussion your Holy Spirit would guide our conversation you would guide our thoughts and and our affections um, father we pray that the things we just discussed would already begin to happen uh, God in us that just like Jesus you approached this man in need God you would approach us in need and you would begin to work in us in powerful ways Father, I pray that revival would begin to stir up in our hearts, um, that our affections for you um, would grow, and Father, you would deepen in our, in our relationship with you. God, and now as we begin to discuss the ways that you're working, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, God, hearts ready to respond. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus, Amen.